really believe that God wants to speak to you, to us about this subject, the anointing. And we're on to part two, which is about growing in the anointing. Now, I'll just remind you that last time we looked at the anointing, what is it? And the main point of what I wanted to say at that time is that as believers in Christ, we are all anointed. In Christ, we are all anointed. But many of us have got little awareness of this. We don't always feel very anointed. And so we continue to try and live out our Christian lives in our own strength and power. So is it any wonder that we struggle sometimes when we're just not relying on the resources of heaven that God has for us? We cannot serve God without the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We need his anointing. So I encouraged you... I gave you some homework at the end uh, to try and spend some time cultivating this awareness. Pause, wait, and then move on. Pause, wait, and then move on. I wonder how many of you have actually been doing this. Um, otherwise, there's going to be detention. Um, in, in all seriousness, I think it's just really important that we take these things seriously. When we hear the Word of God, that we learn to apply it to our lives. So I just want to encourage you to keep going with, uh, with just making yourself aware of the Holy Spirit, his presence in our lives, to pause, wait, and then move on. So there's no detention, there's all grace and all the rest. But um, So last time it was really about this general anointing of the Holy Spirit that we all have in Christ. But there are also many anointings or fillings with the Holy Spirit which are ongoing. You know, and we can cultivate those as well, just like we can cultivate just being aware of his presence with us. We can cultivate these anointings, we can get more of them, we can grow in them. And so that's what I want to talk to you about today, and I want to stir you up in this. I want to provoke you to seek for more of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I believe that even as I speak today, some of you are going to catch some more of the Holy Spirit. Uh, that some of you are going to be stirred and receive fresh impartations, and I'm believing for some fresh encounters with God, the Holy Spirit, today. So I'm just going to pray, and then I'll get into it. So Lord, I just want to pray that your anointing would be manifest powerfully amongst us this afternoon, Lord. Would you just come even now? Would you just sit on us? Let us feel the weight of your anointing. Let us know your presence with us now. Lord, I pray that lives would be changed because of this message. Lord, I pray that we would know the empowering of the Holy Spirit in a new way. I pray for greater anointings to be given out today. In Jesus' name. Amen. So last time I talked about that fragrant oil of the Old Testament. Uh, Well, in the New Testament, this is the Holy Spirit. See, he is the fragrant oil of the Father. And he was poured out, first of all on the day of Pentecost, but now he's available to every believer. But he's poured out on our lives, not just once when we first believed or when we first received the Holy Spirit, but he's poured out continually. He's always available to us. The Holy Spirit is always available to us. And we can see this throughout the book of Acts. I'm going to take you on a whistle-stop tour of anointing through Acts. Firstly, there was, of course, the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out and he came and he rested on all the disciples with tongues of fire. 
And we all need this, don't we? We all need our own version of that Pentecost experience where we've received the Holy Spirit and we know his empowering, we know his commissioning, we know his sending. We need that radical intervention of the Holy Spirit, every one of us. But this was only the first of many subsequent fillings. So let me take you through. Acts chapter 4, verse 8. Peter has just been hauled into jail for preaching the gospel. It's the first time this has happened to him. He's not used to it yet. And he's right there before the authorities. And they're wanting to know what he's up to. He's been preaching this different gospel, according to the Pharisees, and he's just about to speak. And it says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people. Instantaneously, as Peter opens his mouth in that moment of crisis, the Holy Spirit fills him. The Holy Spirit fills him just at that point. And later on in the chapter, we can see how persecution breaks out against the church. And so they meet to pray. And at the end of the prayer meeting, a very famous section, it says that they all cry out to God for help. The whole church in one voice cried out to God. And it says that after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God more boldly. They were all filled corporately together as a church they were filled with the Holy Spirit and then the Holy Spirit is seen a bit later on in the midst of spiritual warfare so in Acts chapter 13 there's lots of references I'm just going to pick out a few for you but there are lots of references through the book of Acts but in Acts chapter 13 verses 8 to 10 Paul confronts a sorcerer let me just read this to you Elymas, the sorcerer, for that's what his name means, opposed them. You know, sometimes the enemy will oppose us through other people. And that's what happened here. He opposed them and he tried to turn the proconsul from the faith, a man that Paul had been speaking to about God. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elymas and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of God? Now how about that for a prophecy? The Holy Spirit fills him in that moment of crisis, in that moment of opposition and warfare, and gives him direct information about what is actually going on. Let me just give you one more. Later on in Acts chapter 13, the Holy Spirit, it says, fills the disciples following ministry. They've been preaching, they've been seeing an amazing outpouring, they've been seeing amazing fruit, but then the town turns against them and they're evicted from the city. So it says in verse 49, the word of God spread throughout the whole region, but then the Jewish leaders incited the people against them. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas. They expelled them from the region. So the disciples, they shook the dust off their feet as a warning to them and went on to Iconium. And then verse 52 says, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Isn't that beautiful? After a time of giving out, as a time of really pushing out into all that God had, and the disappointment of being thrown out of a city, the Holy Spirit just comes and fills them and brings joy to them. I think that's beautiful. So you get the picture there. Many fillings, many refillings. So let me ask you, 
When was the last time that you were filled? When was the last time that you knew the filling of the Holy Spirit in that immediate, in that moment? So is it right then to pray, to keep on praying for more fillings? Is that okay to ask for that? Is it okay to come to God and say, Lord, fill me again? Do we need to keep asking him? If we've already got rivers of living water, do we need to keep asking him? If I do, if I do need to keep coming back and asking him, is it something that I'm doing wrong? Should I be always full of the Holy Spirit? These are questions that people ask. Is it right to keep bothering God? I mean, how many people know that we leak, you know? I mean, that's often said, isn't it? That's why we need to keep praying for one another. That's why we need to keep coming back and getting filled. It's because we leak. Well, that's one reason. But more than that, we need to be continually filled if we're to grow. If we're to grow or to stretch or to carry more of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So Wayne Grudem points out that many of us think of being full as filling up a glass with water. We're full of the Holy Spirit. Fill up the glass with water. And so when a glass is full of water, it's full and anything you put into it will overflow. I mean, that's a great picture. It's a great picture of being full of the Holy Spirit and overflowing. That sounds wonderful, doesn't it? But it's so containing. It's not big enough. It's not great enough for the expansion that God wants to put in our lives. So Wayne Grudem suggests that instead of picturing a glass, you should picture a balloon full of water. What happens when you keep filling a balloon? It expands, it expands, it expands. It gets bigger and bigger. Expansion, growth. You see, there is a need to grow in the anointing. Not just to be full up to the maximum of what we can contain and then overflow. We need to be full, but then we need to expand. That's what God wants to do in our lives. So let's talk then about growing in the anointing, because I believe that there is a choice with this. And this is very serious. We can, we can, we've got a choice either to grow in the anointing, in the extent of what God has given us, or to settle. We, can st- we really can stay on the same level for many years. We can come back to church week after week. We can stay in the same place. We're not going back, but we're not going forwards either. We opt for the safe Christian life. And do you know what? I've got a sneaking suspicion that maybe those are the Christians that leak. The ones that don't grow, they leak. So they need to keep coming back every week for a top-up. Are you leaking or are you growing? Serious. You know, the parable of the talent makes this choice very clear. Jesus says, well, you can hide your gift in the ground if you want to, or you can invest it and make it grow. And when you read this story, you have to ask the question, well, is settling really an option then? You know, Jesus says at the end of the parable, this frightening, frightening phrase, he says, even what he has will be taken away from him. Even the little that we have, if we bury it in the ground and we don't invest it, if we don't grow, even the little that you have will be taken away. I don't really know what that means. 
But I think I've experienced it to some measure in my own life. Those times when we just don't exercise the gifts. They kind of diminish. And I think not to grow is to lose what we have. So Paul says to Timothy when he was facing difficulties, you need to grow. You're facing difficulties... He doesn't say, poor you, come here, let me give you a hug. (laughs) No, Paul writes to Timothy and says, no, Timothy, you need to grow. He says, stir up the gift of God. Facing difficulties, you need to grow. You need to reach deeper. You need more of the Holy Spirit. You need more anointing. You know, there is so much more for us to grow into. So much more. We've only just started. I've only just started. So much more for us. The anointing itself stirs us. He stirs us for growth. He doesn't want us to settle either. The anointing, he's stirring us on. Do you know that? He's stirring us. He's calling us forward. He's he's daring us. If you're developing this relationship with the Holy Spirit that we were talking about last time when we say, okay, Holy Spirit, are you with me? Right, okay, let's move in. Let's do it now. You'll find that he'll make you do stuff. You'll do more. And you'll want to because the stirring comes from within. I want to see God move in power. I want to see people healed. I want to see people set free. I really want to. Can you feel the stirring? Can you feel it stirring now? God's stirring us. Church, God is stirring us. Let me stir you with some more examples. Because the anointing can grow. And there are some examples, first in the life of Jesus, and then I'm going to give you two more in the book of Acts. As I go through these, ask yourself, how about going for some of these ones? How about growing in some of these? So, of course, Jesus was anointed at his baptism when the Holy Spirit rested on him in the form of a dove. That's just amazing. The anointed one is anointed by the Holy Spirit. How amazing is that? But he was anointed. That was the beginning of his ministry. But the anointing didn't stay there. It didn't just stay like a little dove. It grew. So that Jesus was so saturated with the Holy Spirit that he'd go into towns and whole regions of people would be healed. (laughs) Wherever he went, demons would cry out. They couldn't bear even the sight of him. That's wonderful. But do you know, the anointing grew to such an extent it even hung in his clothes. The anointing hung in his clothes. In Luke chapter 8, verses 42 to 44, it says that Jesus was on his way and the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. And she came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak and immediately her bleeding stopped. The anointing was even in Jesus' clothes. Look, I know the story. I know what the story says. I know the passage. It says, Jesus says to the woman, your faith has healed you. And many will emphasize that. Sometimes people will overemphasize that. Your faith has healed you. But the fact remains that it was still through Jesus' clothes that the power was communicated. Think about that. 
Think about that. The anointing was so on him, it so saturated him, even to touch his clothes. Power was communicated. How about having an anointing like that? So saturated with the presence of God. So saturated with the anointing that even your clothes hang. with the anointing. I think that would transform your wash day, wouldn't it? (laughs) Can you imagine picking up the clothes and putting them in the washer? Oh, no, not again. (laughs) Think about that fragrant oil. I described it to you last time. I mean, is it possible for the Holy Spirit's fragrance to so get caught up with us that it diffuses into our homes, that it saturates the chair in which we sit and pray, our clothes, maybe let's start with our homes, the place where you live, the place where you work. Is the Holy Spirit with you to such an extent that it affects the atmosphere around where you are? Are we the fragrance of Christ? I was talking to Julian Adams, who knows a man who lived with a most incredible experience of the anointing, a man called Joshua Mills. Some of you may have heard of him. And uh, it was quite a strange manifestation, really, but for a whole period of time, I don't know how long, maybe it was a year, but he went through a time when his body would just be covered in shiny, fragrant oil especially when he was ministering to people. It would just drip off his hands, it would drip off his face, it would drip just this amazing oil. And uh, his life, his very life, I mean, he suffered incredible persecution for it. People said all kinds of things about him. That's why I asked Joshua, um, Julian about him. I said, do you know this guy? He said, yeah, this is the real thing. And he would receive large bills from hotels that he stayed in because the mattress would be soaked through with oil. I, I, I can't understand that. I don't know how, what to make of it. You can see pictures of this on YouTube. You can watch him ministering and the presence of God is so obvious there. I don't know. I, I don't know about that. But I tell you, people were healed wherever he went. Amazing miracles broke out. Are we prepared to be saturated with the Holy Spirit to such an extent? The second one that I want to stir you with is Peter's shadow. In Acts chapter 5, it records a level of anointing for the apostles characterized by the fear and awe of God and unusual manifestations of power. I'm going to read the whole section to you in verse 12 to verse 16 of Acts chapter 5. It says that the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else joined them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought those who were ill into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. 
Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing those who were ill and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. And this, the anointing was on these men, the awe of God was on them. There was such a fear amongst the people of the awe of God. I talked about that, the awe of the anointing last time. You know, I've known moments of that. I've known moments of the anointing being amongst us even last time when we were talking about, um, about the anointing, funnily enough. There was a sense of the awe of God at the end, wasn't there? Many people spoke to me about hardly being able to stand. Just the presence of God was so thick and so heavy amongst us. Other people could hardly sit and needed to lie on the floor. The weight of the anointing. But this anointing also seemed to emanate from Peter around him, even lying in his shadow. How is that possible? I mean, do you know how much you affect the atmosphere when you're full of the Holy Spirit? Times even when the sight of you can have an impact, not a negative one. Um, I don't say this lightly, but um, a few years ago I was walking through Birmingham City Centre with my family <clears throat> on my day off and as I walked past a stall in New Street a woman suddenly threw herself at me snarling and screaming and she came within, I don't know, about that far, about 12 inches of me and it was like she hit an invisible wall and she fell back and couldn't touch me. And she fell on the floor, curled up in a ball, cursing me. And her family came out of the crowd and they were just so apologetic. They didn't understand what had happened. They didn't know she's never done this. This has never happened before. We don't know what's wrong. I said, it's okay. It's okay. And Alison says, well, what should we do? I said, just keep walking. (laughs) We don't have to stop. We don't have to be distracted. It's my day off. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, the enemy will throw himself at you and distract you and ruin your day. I don't say that lightly. Is the anointing around you? Even the sight of you, even the scent of you. (laughs) Are we growing in the anointing? Paul's handkerchief is another example. In Acts chapter 19, Luke tells us that God did extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. The anointing here was so tangible, it seems, that even handkerchiefs or aprons that touched him when they were taken to the sick, their illness was cured and the evil spirits came out of them. This, Luke tells us, were extraordinary miracles. These miracles were extraordinary, so not the usual run of miracles. Such was the anointing for healing in that area that these miracles broke out. Do you know, guys, it's still happening today. Extraordinary miracles are happening today. Um, I mean, many people report healings from the handkerchiefs that renewal give out. 
This is happening regularly. People are healed just with taking a handkerchief. Um, a few years ago, we experienced something similar, praying over a napkin in a restaurant. Uh, our, our team sort of gathered around, and the most amazing thing, and they took this napkin home and somebody was healed. Just an ordinary napkin in a restaurant. And the amazing thing for me was, I could actually feel the power of God going into the napkin as we were praying. And I thought, wow, never seen that before. Talk about the anointing being transferable. So there's more. There's so much more that we can get from God. There's so much more of heaven that can be experienced on earth. Do you want it? Are you stirred for more? Do you want to grow? Because if you don't grow, you stagnate. You know, have you moved forward in your Christian walk in recent times or have you dried up? And if we're going to grow, we're going to need to get some more oil. We're going to need to find more oil to pour out. So how do we increase the supply? How do we grow in the anointing? And to illustrate this, I want to use a story from the Old Testament that God's been speaking to me through recently about a widow whose oil was drying up. And it says that she turned to Elisha for help, and his advice can help us too, I think. So if you'd like to turn to 2 Kings chapter 4, I'm just going to take you through a few points, quite a short passage, verses 1 to 7. I'm going to take you through the story, and then I'm going to have an opportunity for us to respond. And the first thing that we can see from this passage, I'll give you a minute to find it, 2 Kings chapter 4. is that the woman who was running out of oil asked for help. Verse 1, it says, The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my boys as his slaves. She cried out, And so if we are running short of oil, if we find that we are getting dry for whatever reason, the first thing I want us to see is that we can ask for help. There's no condemnation. Repent, get right, ask for help. Ask God for more. Lord, fill me again. And do you know he won't refuse us? That's the wonderful thing about God. He says, no one who asks for the Holy Spirit will be turned away. He won't refuse us. Speak out in tongues. Worship. As we do these things, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. As we exercise spiritual gifts, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. So let me ask you then, when was the last time that you cried out to God and said, Lord, I'm thirsty. Lord, I'm so desperate for you. If you don't fill me, I don't know what's going to happen. Fill me up, Lord. We can get so bogged down in life, can't we? Lord, fill me up, so desperate for you. We fill our lives with TV. We fill our lives with alcohol. We fill our lives with other forms of relaxation. And we don't just say, Lord, I'm thirsty, will you fill me up? We can ask for help. We can ask one another for help. And it's often through the New Testament that it was as hands were laid on people that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And we can do this. We can ask for one another for prayer. Will you pray for me? 
in your life group during the week, especially life groups together. It's a great opportunity for us to just pray for one another, just minister to one another, the Holy Spirit. God's so gracious that he, he uses us in blessing one another. Isn't that wonderful? It's a wonderful ministry that we can have toward one another. Do you need that today? Yeah, Lord, I'm just so thirsty. I've cried out to God, but it'd just be great if somebody would pray for me. You need the Holy Spirit? We can ask for one, one another for help. We can ask, if we want to grow in anointing, we can ask for an impartation. I want to talk about that for a couple of minutes. Because this is another way to grow. We can ask somebody who's a bit further ahead in their walk with God or moving in a gift that you're earnestly desiring. You know that that's, that's biblical, isn't it? To earnestly desire. I really want it. I really want that gift. I earnestly desire it. We can ask people that are moving that gift, would you pray for me? Would you pray that God would somehow impart some of your anointing to me? I mean, this is how it worked for Elisha, of course. You know, in 1 Kings 19.19, we find that Elijah, in obedience to the word of God, throws his cloak around Elisha and imparts to him supernaturally some of his anointing. Paul repeats this pattern in the New Testament with Timothy talking about the impartation of supernatural gifting through the laying on of hands. Impartation, it's possible. We can receive, we can grow in anointing through impartation. I say it's possible, but it's not guaranteed. It's not a quick fix. I think I've heard so many people running from this conference to that, if somebody lays hands on me or whatever... It's not a quick fix. You know, for Elisha, there was a price to pay for the anointing. In 1 Kings 19, we see that he has to leave his parents behind and give away all that he had. It doesn't mean that we necessarily have to do that, but it's a picture. There's sacrifice involved, there's commitment. In the New Testament, Timothy says, suffered with anxiety, and yet he had an impartation from the Apostle Paul, Apostle Paul and yet he had anxiety. He had to work through that. He had to work through suffering. He had to work through troubles to inherit all that God had for him. It's not a quick fix. So if you want an impartation, the question you have to ask is, am I prepared to pay the cost? Am I prepared to be serious about this? A further thing to say about impartation is that it also requires action from us too. You know, having received the cloak from Elijah, Elisha immediately acts on it. So in 1 Kings 12, 14, it says that Elisha took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and struck the water with it and said, where is the God of Elijah, he asked. When he struck the water, it divided to the right and the left and he crossed over. He'd seen Elijah do that. Okay, I'm going to step into it. If I've received an impartation, I'm going to separate the water too. Timothy received impartation from Paul, but he still had to lead the church, even though it was very difficult. He still had to continue on representing Paul. So it's no good being prayed for and looking to receive an impartation and then not acting on it. There's an activation of the gift that is required and the faith to go with it. So that's the first thing. Ask for help. Secondly, start with the little that you have. 
In verse 2, it says, Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except for a small jar of olive oil. I love that. Tell me what you have in your house. I've got very little. You know, everything that is grown starts with something that's smaller. Humans start as babies, trees start as seedlings, and so on. Start with the little that you have and it will grow. The boy with the loaves and the fishes saw this. Look how many people he fed. It's a spiritual principle. And it's also about being faithful with the little that you have. Again, in the parable of the talents, we find that the man who invested well is given more. Then in Matthew 25, 23, it says that his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. That's the one who invested and got back more. He says, I'm going to put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. You've been faithful with a few. I'm going to give you many. And some of us, you know, we don't grow because we don't use what we have. Or we don't act responsibly with the little areas of responsibility that God has given us. We don't invest. You know, we say, oh, unless I'm doing that, that big thing over there, I'm not going to do it. Why should I do that? We're not faithful in the little things. We want to start so big. I just want to say to you, don't despise the day of small things. It's a well-known phrase, but let's mean it. (laughs) Let's be faithful in the small things. Let's work diligently with what we have so that more will be given. It's not wrong to want more. It isn't wrong. But we need to be faithful in what we've already been given. And I think, you know, one of the keys to this is need. I think one of the keys to growing is need. Because if you've only got a little and you're giving it all, you need more. Do you need the Holy Spirit? Do you need more? Remember what we saw through Acts, it was as Peter spoke that he was filled. It was as the church prayed that they were filled. It was as Paul confronted the witchcraft that he was filled. After they ministered to the the disciples were filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. After they'd acted, after they'd stepped out, their need was increased by the situation that they found themselves in. Are you at risk of needing the Holy Spirit? Thirdly, Elisha's advice is to look for empty jars. Verse 3 and 4, Elisha said, Go round and ask all your neighbours for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. (laughs) Mark that. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour the oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. Where are the empty jars? Well, look around you. We're full of empty jars. We're full, but we need so much more. 
We're full, but we need so much more. We all leak, and as we give out, we need to be refilled. We need to keep praying for one another. We all need more of the Holy Spirit. Many need to hear from God. You know, do you know that people actually come to church saying, God, I really need to hear from you today? People need to hear from God. We need to keep praying for one another. We need to receive all kinds of things from God. People need to be prayed for because they're in need. You know, pr- we need to pray for people who are sick. Empty jars. Look for the empty jars. Pray for people that are sick. Pray for people that are in need. Go and get involved. Lay hands on them. And not just for the results. You know, we can so often get to that point where, well, I've prayed for ten people now and they've not been healed, so why bother? That's the point. Start with the little that you have. Fill the empty jars. You may or may not get results. See, the interesting thing is that the widow had to start behind closed doors. Did you notice that? She had to practice at home. She prayed, first of all, if you like, for her family. (laughs) she poured out with her sons they sat around together that's how they learned how to pour out the oil how to fill the empty jars you need to pray for your family that's when we need to start you need to pray for your wife you need to pray for your parents you need to lay hands on them when your kids are sick always make it a practice to lay hands on them and pray for them that's where we start then having practice look around for more it's one of the reasons why I, I I feel like it's really important to visit other churches and to take people with me as well because when I do, I find that there are more empty jars. There are different needs, there are different gifts there and I can bring a different something there. It's why I think it's important to go to South Africa. There's more empty jars, including me. And I believe the anointing will grow because we step out in those places, in those times. And it will do us all good. So I want to encourage you to go around the neighbourhood, the neighbourhood, and ask for more empty jars. Elisha says, don't just ask for a few. So what's your expectation? As you go around your neighbourhood, where you work, where you live, your travel routes, what's your expectation? Ask God for more empty jars. Step out in even a small way and find the growth is immediate. Have you ever noticed how when you do a kind of outreach thing, how much easier it is to go and witness to people? Silly thing. But it's because as you fill empty jars, you grow. And you find you have more capacity to give. And the next point is to keep pouring out. In verse 5, it says that she left Elisha and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her sons, bring me another one. But he replied, there isn't a jar left. And then the oil stopped flowing. There was a time for the widow and her sons to practice at home behind closed doors to learn how to pour the oil, how to move in the flow. And the church is the place for this. I really believe that. I believe that the church is the place to practice moving in spiritual gifts, to practice praying for people. The household of God. What's in your house? 
the people of God. It's the place where we can just try out what God has gifted us in. And many people, you know, when they come to church meetings, they come just to receive. As I've sometimes said, if you've come just wanting to receive something, if you've come wanting to receive something, make sure that you've come to give. If you want to receive something, make sure you've come to give. It's a spiritual principle. Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. A a good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure used, it will be measured to you. If you need to receive something, come to give. And it will be given to you, pressed down, shaken together and running over. But look, you know, I believe that there's going to come a time when we could run out of jars. Because, you know, if the church is only about meeting its own needs and it becomes the kind of local church which runs more like a weekly conference venue where all we do is pray and prophesy over one another while the oil can stop flowing. We've run out of empty jars. And, you know, this is God's grace to us because if the oil didn't stop flowing, we wouldn't go outside. We wouldn't go out of the house. The oil, you see, needs to break out. It compels us. We must find some more empty jars, and there are plenty outside of the church. So when the oil stopped flowing, this was the advice that was given, go sell your oil. Verse 7, she went and told the man of God and says and that they'd run out of oil, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. So the poverty, the debt that she started with had gone. And the church meets needs amongst us. But then we have something that we can sell. We tell others, come and see what Jesus has done for me. Come to this church and get prayed for. God's going to heal you. Come, find out. Come see a man. He's told me all that I can, all that I am. You sell it. It becomes easy to sell the gospel when you have your testimony to start the conversation with. I saw somebody healed on Sunday. Bang, you're into the conversation. Go sell. Not only come and get healed and be restored, but come and help us to pour the oil. So let me conclude then. Are you full of the Holy Spirit today? Are you growing? Do you want to grow?